What's going on, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls? It is Friday, October 27th, 2023. And I'm your host, as always, The Pody. We're back. Finally getting an episode on my usual staple that is Friday nights. Do not have a game to work for high school uh, football for the chains. Did it last night, so my Friday is free. And I was exhausted when I got home from work today, took a quick little nap, had something to eat, and although I've got a slight headache still, I'm going to pump through, get this episode done and over with by 8 p.m. because Game 1 of the World Series on Fox starts at approximately 8.03, and we've got on tap the Texas Rangers hosting the Arizona Diamondbacks, two of the most unlikely teams to make it to the World Series, the 84-win Arizona Diamondbacks getting the upset of the Philadelphia Phillies. I'll talk more about that later. And then, of course, the Rangers came all the way back after blowing um, their you know game was a game five when Altuve hit the three-run homer off LeClerc, but they came back, won the final two games, and um, this is the lowest combined win total. Yeah, the lowest combined win total of any two World Series teams in the history of the sport, I believe I read. So just very unlikely. I'm assuming the ratings are going to be down, but at the same time, there's not too many Texas Ranger or Arizona Diamondback fans or really haters like there would be with your Houston's or maybe even the Yankees or Dodgers so or Boston even. So I don't know. Maybe there's a lot more neutral people out there that will watch. Like typically for me, if Houston was in it, I'd just be like, no, I don't want to watch this. And I'd check in here and there, but I wouldn't watch. But this has some intrigue for me because it's two teams that I really don't have a dog in the race or a dog in the fight. So I don't really necessarily care who wins. I kind of want uh, Texas to win because I'm a big Bruce Bochy guy. You know, he's on the older side. He He's a stud. He's a old school, non-analytical manager, which I absolutely love. He manages from the gut and from the heart and from knowledge and experience. Okay. And he's done this a long time. What is this? His, his third World Series appearance? No, his... His fifth World Series appearance, I believe, with his third team, of course, won a bunch with the Giants. And um, so, yeah. And then on the other side, you've got you've got Arizona, which has just a bunch of no name players, Cattell Marte, um, just a, a manager nobody's heard of, just players you've not heard of. Um, pitchers that have come over that have pitched in Japan that were were, you know, also rans that that nobody gave a shot or or fizzled out or needed, um, or, or journeyman like Evan Longoria is possibly the biggest name on this team. It, it, it's pretty crazy. Um, of course they got Paul Seawald who started his season with the Mets, then went to the Mariners and now he's come over and he's been, you know, phenomenal in that closers role. So yeah, it, it's good. Some good storylines. There's a bunch of former Mets and Yankees in this series. You know, you've got, uh, well, DeGrom is, is hurt. He's, he, is out for the year, but you've got Scherzer, you've got Jordan Montgomery, you've got, um, like I said, Seawald, you've got uh, Araldis Chapman. So uh, in that respect, I kind of want to see Montgomery and Chapman win a World Series because it would be kind of fitting. Um, Brian Cashman traded 
traded both of them essentially. Uh, well, Montgomery traded. I, I don't know. Chapman, I think, w- w- just signed with KC. They they let him go um, after he basically was kicked off the the postseason roster last year and was not happy about that, didn't even show up for the postseason. But Montgomery has been a staple for this team. He was their game one starter. He basically won three out of those seven games against Houston. Uh, the one was the Leclerc blown blown uh save there in the eighth inning with the three-run homer by Altuve otherwise he he was the stud they brought him in in game seven after Scherzer gave up a couple in the first two innings he pitched two and a third just been phenomenal and um yeah so um not really a dog in the race but I'm kind of rooting for Texas for those reasons and let's be real Arizona beat the Yankees in 01 right Luis Gonzalez so do I really want them to win no probably not so with all that being said, we've got to get to some um, college football, some NFL. Last week was an absolute disaster. Uh, I don't know too many people that won any money last week on the NFL. Just it happens every once in a while. That was a bad, bad week. I got killed at the books. So we'll get to that. Talk about college football. Talk about the scandal rocking the college football landscape and notably Michigan. So without further ado... Let's get episode 223 started. Okay, so first up, we are going to talk again a little college football. So we had on Saturday, so I had family over on Saturday. It's why I didn't um, do an episode, but um, I had family over on Saturday and you know, just had some lunch, hung out. My brother and his wife were up from Florida to see his friend in Long Island. So he came by, spent a couple hours over. My grandpa came over, my brother and his wife, my other brother and his wife, and my sister was over. So we're just hanging out, eating some lunch and everything. And, you know, naturally college football, there was some UFC on. We we were watching that. And we had number three, Ohio State against what? I think number seven, Penn State. Expecting this to be a really good game, a lot of you know, a lot of points scored, very high scoring, and my goodness, it disappointed big time. This was a clunker, most notably by both quarterbacks, who I'm not impressed with, and that's really been Penn State's Achilles heel, in my opinion, over the last handful of years uh, under James Franklin and even before him. But um, yeah, just just very sloppy. The key difference in this one basically was Ohio State. The fact that they have um, Marvin Harrison Jr. on their team. It's just plain and simple. In my opinion, he's the best receiver in college football. He goes off 11 receptions, 162 yards, and a touchdown. And, of course, his father's the Hall of Fame wide receiver, Marvin Harrison. Um, And, yeah, Ohio State has a stud defense. I think number two in the country. They were great. They gave up one third down conversion for the entire game. So Penn State finished the game, what, one for 16 on third down, and Ohio State basically didn't allow a touchdown until the final 30 seconds of this game. So just phenomenal, phenomenal all around there. Uh, As for James Franklin, he kind of falls into that Jim Harbaugh can't get over the hump and beat Ohio State territory. Well, he's now one and nine against Ohio State, so not not a great look there. Um, elsewhere, speaking of Michigan, they beat Michigan State 49 to nothing 
Um, I suspect they took out some feelings on a rival they hate, especially after everything that took place last year with the criminal charges and everything with the fighting um, between the teams. And I heard that Michigan State almost was about to refuse to to play this game. They almost didn't play the game. But um, nobody see, nobody cares about the score of this game. Nobody wants to talk really about football. Every The, the talk of the town right now is this scandal plaguing Michigan with their uh, this whole sign-stealing scandal, okay? This is the biggest sign-stealing scandal, uh, the biggest thing really in football since Spygate with Belichick. So if you don't know, the each day we're starting to learn more and more, the curtain's being pulled back further and further. Um, the man at the center of this whole investigation is not Jim Harbaugh. In fact, Jim Harbaugh claims that he doesn't know anything about it. He never directed anybody to go in person to seal signs, et cetera, et cetera. The man at the center of this whole investigation is Connor Stallions, who is a member of the recruiting department specializing in analytics. I think he makes around $55,000. So I did all this research. I, I, I studied, you know, I've read articles. Also, you don't have to just... Just sit back, listen, and I will break it down for you. So, Connor Stallions joined the Wolverines after leaving the U.S. Marine Corps last year, but has been a voluntary assistant to the team for a few years. So, before that, he worked for the Navy football program while attending the Naval Academy. Okay? Um, According to ESPN, he purchased... This is the scandal. He purchased more than 30 tickets to different Big Ten games involving 12 different programs in the past three years. Okay, 12 different programs. The 13th program, it's probable that he bought tickets to to those games. It's just they can't go back in the system, from what I read, and, and, and see that, whereas the other 12 were able to figure it out. He bought tickets to these games. He also bought tickets to... Uh, I believe multiple SEC games, including the SEC championship game, possibly Big 12 games as well. I forget it was other conferences or Pac-12, whatever it was. And he was basically sending his goons or friends or whatever. He was buying these tickets all with his own credit card, all under his own name on StubHub. And he was sending friends these tickets to go to the games most Always these tickets were around the 50 or 40 yard line, a little bit high up. So they had a great vantage point of the sidelines so they could film the the opponent that he was looking for, you know, um, signs. And um, so they would film it and they would send it back. And one of the schools verified that there was somebody that they found on film that was pointing a cell phone, you know, an iPhone or something and filming the sideline. And, you know, some internet sleuths uncovered a video from a few weeks back when Rutgers played Michigan. And at halftime, Greg Schiano was being interviewed. And he said, we've got to clean some stuff up. Some stuff's not, something's not right out there. You know, things aren't going right. Like something's up, you know, basically is what he said. So, so basically people are inferring that, Greg Schiano and Rutgers probably couldn't figure out what the hell was going on and why uh, Michigan was all over their plays and pretty much knew everything that was going on. But let's face it. If you're Michigan, I mean, do you really need to steal Rutgers signs? Like, are you that scared of Rutgers? I know Rutgers had the long slant touchdown for the like first play of the game to take a 7-0 lead. I didn't really get to watch the game because I was in Disney celebrating my brother's 40th. But um, yeah, a little bit crazy there. So anyway, it gets it gets crazier. 
So, um, like I said, he was sending those tickets to a network of people. They were going to watch the games in, in, in person. It has also come to light that Stallions, this is the crazy part. This guy, man, a little bit nutty, but um, a lot of these military dudes are. He had a 550 to 600 page Google Doc manifesto that outlined his plan for becoming head coach of Michigan football in the next 15 years. So I'm not going to, you know, go into all the boring details because it would take up too much time, but just know the guy was very motivated and clearly was willing to do whatever it took to get noticed and climb the ranks. And here's the thing. He apparently chose to go to Navy because he's a huge, he's a Michigan guy through and through, but he chose to go to Navy from what I was reading um, because of Bill Belichick and uh, somebody else who I can't remember who came before my time. And then his plan was to always come back to Michigan football and, and, and basically take over the program. And he was going to do whatever it took in that analytical department um, to, to get by and to, to, climb the ladder. And so there's actual confirmed evidence now, because like I said, the layers of this have been getting peeled back each day and every day we're learning more. In 2021, he sent a text message. I don't know if it was part of an SI article or something that they were doing. And he confirmed, he did admit that he stole a team's signs, but he claimed that he did it through, um, the TV broadcast just watched the film of the team like anybody else would. And he was able to, to pick up on stuff and steal signs. And so here's my theory on this whole thing. Military guys, they're usually everything's on the up and up. They're by the book. You name it. My theory on this whole thing is that he so desperately wanted to become the head coach of Michigan and slowly move up. He's only 28 years old, slowly move up the ranks and, and just build himself a resume and a career at Michigan to get noticed, to, to, to build favor with Jim Harbaugh. Cause to Jim Harbaugh, he just hired this guy. This guy doesn't bother him. He's just part of the analytical department. Maybe they have some meetings to get whatever, but he's not on the day-to-day docket, if you will. And he's not meeting with Harbaugh on the day-to-day or on the daily. And so my guess is maybe he, this was his job, right? Study film, study film, try to pick up on anything, the nuances, the just steal signs, whatever you can do. And again, like it is like in other sports, baseball, you can steal signs. If you, if you look over, I coach softball, right? So if I'm the first base coach, I'm going to try to look in at the catcher's signs, right? And try to pick up the signs. And every catcher gives different signs, but it's basic, you know, one, two, three, and you got to figure out, okay, um, are they going by the first sign, the second sign, the third, fourth, whatever, whatever it may be. And then you got to figure out what the pitch may be. Or from another perspective, you could have, um, you know, sometimes players will be out on second base and they're getting their lead and they're looking in at the catcher or you're looking in at the coach calling signs, whatever it may be. That's all well and good with the Astros where they got out of whack is they took it to an extreme. Okay. And this is where it all, I, I think it gets, it becomes greed. And especially in this case with stallions, you might figure it out for one opponent on the up and up, right? You might just be watching film and you might be like, holy crap, I just figured something out. And then it works. And then you start to do it the same way. And it's just not working. 
you stole one team's signs, maybe they were, you know, it was easier to steal their signs. But now the next team or the next team, you can't replicate that. You're not able to steal the signs. And you're like, damn, uh, I need to do something else to get that edge back. That feeling of just me being the reason that our team was able to figure this out and was able to, to win and all that good stuff. And especially with the Astros, they started using technology with the batter's eye and they were re they were stealing, you know, they were zooming in on the catcher and stealing the signs and then relaying it to the batter with trash cans and buzzers and all this technology and way illegal stuff, right? Well ab above, uh, you know, beyond uh, the normal and natural means that, is, that have been taking place for, for years. Um, so with Stallions, I think that's what happened. Greed got to him a little bit. He might have started off figuring it out as most people do, but then it was like, damn, I need to do more. So that's when he decided to start buying tickets, giving them to friends, whoever he was giving them to, and having them go film the sidelines. And then he'd be just... It's it. I'm the reason, right? I'm like I'm this guru, and everyone thought, "Oh my God, this kid, it, this guy is a guru. He is stealing signs. We have something that nobody else has. We have Connor Stallions." But really, he wasn't doing it on the up and up. He wasn't some savant, who, which is what they originally thought. Those were some of the words that were used to describe him around this uh, program and around Michigan. And I also read today. Uh, this will be the last bit and we'll move on. But I read today also that in this in the college football playoff last year, Michigan finally made it. They slayed the dragon, beat Ohio State. They made it and they were favored against TCU, the Cinderella that made it, right? Max Duggan, you know, not not the starter to open the season and then with an injury and he took them all the way, right? Uh, Quentin Johnston now in the NFL, stud wide receiver, all that. And Michigan lost this game. Well, I'll let you in on a little secret. I read today that TCU knew for a fact that Michigan had their signs. And so what did they do? They came prepared. They mixed in dummy signs. They mixed in old play calls with new stuff, and they thwarted it. Yeah, granted, Michigan still scored, what, 45 points? I think it was 51 to 45 final. But they did what they had to, and they were they were either someone, another team made them aware or what, I don't know. But I will let you in on another little secret. Last year, South Carolina was not very good. There were two teams in the SEC that were, well, ACC, SEC, Clemson, and um, and Tennessee that were ranked in the either fifth or sixth and were vying for that college football playoff spot. And some internet sleuths, if you will, um, are theorizing, or I, at least I saw, that possibly Stallions or Michigan or somebody gave this information, the sign stealing, to South Carolina because South Carolina went at the end of the season and beat both Tennessee and Clemson, two teams that were vying for the CFP. And so it's, yeah, a little bit fishy. So this whole thing is insane. Um, I'm going to play a couple of clips from two prominent head coaches describing this whole uh, sign-stealing scandal. And really, it's a lot of fluff because if you really think about it, okay, like, for example, TCU, they knew it was coming, so they just changed their plays. And you've got to imagine that you can figure out something isn't right in the middle of a game, like with that Chiano interview where he's saying something isn't right. 
Um, we got to figure it out. You got to go and make those adjustments. Yeah, it makes it more difficult if you don't realize that another team literally stole your signs or in the case, like if you ever leave your playbook around and the other team gets it, now they know everything, but you still have to stop it. So anyway, here is Matt Rule. He's coached in obviously the NFL. He's coached in college for a while. And here's his thoughts on this. And it actually makes 100% total sense. And I think after this whole thing, we will get, um, you, we'll, it, it'll eventually become what it is in the NFL. So I'm not going to spoil it. Just listen to the clip. And stealing happens every game. Um, there's nothing wrong with, there's nothing wrong with teams over there looking over, trying to steal our signs. There's nothing wrong with us trying to look at their signs. That's why you should have mics in the helmets, right? Like all these coaches that vote against it every year is because they don't want to teach their quarterback, you know, in the NFL, quarterback goes out there with three play calls <laughs> because if I see, if I see the free safety's foot like that, it might be one high. I'm going to check to this play. And if I, but you get to college and you're watching a game on a Tuesday night and you know, they, they got the signal and they're just calling a play. So that's uh, what makes college football to me. That's why they score a lot, maybe more points, but it's also why the kids are less prepared. So that's why they should, there should be hundred percent should be, we could get rid of all the stupid signs on the sidelines and we could get pictures of, you know, rock stars and all that stuff. And we could just play football the way it was meant to be. You go to a high school game, there's technology on the sideline. You go to an NFL game, there's technology on the sideline. You go to the college, there's nothing. When you, when you played Michigan, did you have any suspicions that there was more than the usual amount of knowledge on their side? I, I am. I'm, I, I, you know, no one from the Big Ten or NCAA has asked me anything yet, so I'm not going to probably comment on anything like that. I, I would never want to cast shade at somebody else going through a hard time. I don't know anything. Yeah, so they're just fishing there at the end, trying to catch him, you know, off guard or or get some more information. But anyway, he's absolutely right, right? So you watch a college football game on TV and you see just ridiculous guys holding signs. You have different coaches or maybe, um, you know, backup quarterbacks or red shirt guys that are wearing different colors. Like you might have um, Rutgers who's red, right? But then you've got some, some, you know, Rutgers staffer who's wearing green or wearing some random orange color and they're just making crazy hand signals and another guy's next to him holding signs and different things are going on. And it's like, they don't do this in, in the high school or the NFL. So he's absolutely right. They need to, start putting the mics in the headsets and they need to prepare these guys for the next level. So they, you know, they have to learn more plays maybe, but they'll be more prepared for the next level. I'll never forget Cam Newton's first year in the NFL. They literally had to simplify the play calling because he wasn't really getting it. And by simplifying it, it actually worked and helped them um, and helped him have a successful season. But it's because they're not doing this at the college level. They don't have the mics in the headsets and the, the quarterbacks are just not prepared. So get them prepared earlier. You won't have sign stealing. And back to his point, yeah, guys all the time. It's like what I said in baseball, softball, all these other sports. You look over, you're always trying to get an edge um, and try to steal signs during the game. And that's totally up on the up and up and and perfectly fine. And you got to adjust, just like he said. And um, here is now Deion Sanders, head coach of Colorado, basically saying the same thing. He doesn't care who, who knows their signs. They still got to stop it. But what are your thoughts? I mean, everyone's trying to get an edge. I mean, everyone's trying to get whatever edge they can. Um, you could have someone's whole game plan. They could mail it to you. You still got to stop it. You still got to stop it. So in football, it's not as pronounced as baseball. If I know a curveball is coming, I'm, I'm, I got you. You know, with, with football, I don't give a darn. If you know a sweep is coming, you still got to stop it. 
physically, you it's a physical game. You got to stop it. So that that's a little tough. I don't buy into a lot of that stuff that someone's stealing this, stealing that. I don't I don't buy into a lot of that stuff. You still got to play the game. Back in our glory days with San Francisco as well as the Cowboys, you know darn well Emmitt Smith is getting the ball. You know darn well Mike Irvin is running the comeback. You know darn well Jay Novacek is going to do what he's going to do, and you couldn't stop it. It is what it is. He has a very good point. You still have to stop it, and, you know, make, like I said before, make the in-game adjustments, as Matt Rule alluded to as well. So this is just something that I, I, I do believe in a sense that if this was any other program, that this wouldn't be as newsworthy or making the headlines to the extent that it is. But because it is Jim Harbaugh, I truly believe, I don't know who he pissed off or why or what have you. Um, he's a bit abrasive and he's a little bit cocky and um, thinks his shit don't stink in a sense, I believe, because he had a lot of success in the NFL, went to a Super Bowl, lost to his brother, unfortunately. But I do believe that they're out to get him. Of course, he was suspended the first three games of this season for some stuff that went on in what during COVID with recruits and and different things. So they suspended him for three games. Um, so I do believe they're out to get him. And if this is the final straw, I don't know. Would he just be willing to jump ship and go back to the NFL now and pull a Pete Carroll? Maybe. Maybe he just says, this is ridiculous. You know, I'm never going to win. They're always going to come after me about something. Possibly. But from what I was also reading today, we are not going to have a resolution on this this year. So any thought of Michigan not making the CFP or 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 not, you know, getting some sort of violation, some bowl violation, you know, some bowl bans or anything like that, no, because they are right now favored to win the national title. They are favored to do so. Uh, Georgia has been, you know, if he at best they lost Brock Bowers. So yeah, Michigan has jumped in and they are favored now to win it all. Um, so yeah, it's crazy. And listen, um, I I just wanted to to say sign stealing in and of itself, right, is not illegal. I, I've been I've been I've made that very clear. But where it becomes a where it becomes a legal issue is, like I said, with the Astros, you're using technology now. You're going above and beyond to literally cheat. So in the case of this guy Stallions, yes, under NCAA Bylaw 1161, what he did was totally illegal. You cannot film sidelines of opponents in person. Absolutely a no-no. So like I said, Jim Harbaugh has been, well, fairly hush-hush on this, but he just basically said uh, he denied knowing anything about it. And listen, when you have a football program, people don't realize how big football programs are, how many staffers, how many players. So it's very it's very possible that Harbaugh knew absolutely nothing of what was going on. Or he could have been like, I want nothing to know. I don't want to know nothing about this. Don't involve me. Just do it. But I don't want to know nothing. Kind of like with the Astros, too. It's like the manager, he might have tried to put a stop to it, but he really didn't go above and beyond to be like, all right, guys, you know, maybe he said enough is enough, stop this. But then kind of they were like, oh, that's all he's going to say. We'll, we'll just keep doing it and not tell him. So, yeah, it's very possible he didn't know. But, again, the NCAA has been after Harbaugh, so this thing is far, 
far from over. But again, nothing will probably happen anytime this year. So their college football playoff hopes are still alive. Michigan fans, you're good. Nothing's going to happen this year. So, but I will say if Harbaugh does somehow run away with it and win a national title, he probably will, that will be a swan song back to the NFL. He'll be like, enough is enough. You can't get me anymore. I just want a, a national title. I'm out. And he'll go back to the NFL. So we'll see. Okay, some other craziness throughout college football because, you know, we did play some football, right? Virginia stunned number 10, North Carolina, 31-27. They came in as 23-and-a-half-point underdogs in this game. Oh, my God. And guess what? The number 10-ranked team has lost in four straight weeks. So, actually, now that I say that, let's see who's ranked 10th in college football this week. Uh, let's see, top 25, we've got up oh, Penn State. Penn State has dropped to number 10. They are hosting Indiana. Indiana is 2-5, and five. Penn State's 31.5 point favorites. That streak will be broken. Um, Penn State is not losing to Indiana. Rutgers just absolutely demolished Indiana, okay, on the road. So, yeah, Indiana is a very bad 2-5 and five football team. So that curse will be broken. You heard it here first. Penn State will drub them. Will they cover the 31-and-a-half? Um, I'll say yes. I'll say they barely cover it. Win by, like, 35 maybe. It's a lot. But after that wacky, low-scoring affair against Ohio State where they only scored 12 points, I think I think they'll get that done. Uh, Minnesota outpaced Iowa in yet another Iowa clunker. This one was a final of 12 to 10. There was some some definite controversy late in this one as Iowa's Cooper DeGene scored what would have been the game the, the probable game winner on a punt return. The only issue, and go back and watch the video, you have to see it to 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 understand. But apparently on the video, they ruled that he called for a fair catch. Now, DeGene was basically claiming that and Iowa was claiming that he did not call for a fair catch, that he was actually just trying to wave his teammates away from the ball, and it's a little tough to understand. I could see possibly how the refs ruled that, but it's a very tough call. You got to understand the situation if you're the ref there, and, and, and no, he's not trying to call for a fair catch, and he was just, because he was kind of waving both hands. He was like pointing with his right and kind of waving his left a little bit high, to indicate a fair catch, but it really wasn't a prominent fair catch signal, and it was just a tough blow. And listen, Iowa, uh, Ference, you're going to have to fire your son, man. You better, you guys better wake up. He's not meeting that point requirement, man. I don't know. I don't know what's going on there, but this team just cannot seem to score a lot of points. It's, it's wild, absolutely wild. Okay, a uh, little NFL. Like I said, um, we got hosed. The books made billions last week. Had to have. The Bills are frauds. I'm done with the Bills. I'm done betting on the Bills. I have all the confidence in the world that when my New York Jets head to Buffalo in, what is it, like three or four weeks, I think. Um, let me get this exact, right? Because I I, I do want to get this right. We already beat Buffalo in week one, of course, right? So we will head to Buffalo in... Yeah, four weeks on November the 19th. And I am I am almost going to guarantee a win right now. I'm not because it's still four weeks out. Injuries, everything could happen. But the Bills look atrocious. And the fact that they lost to the lowly Patriots is disturbing. 
And when you think about it, yeah, Belichick sitting on win number 299. He gets his 300th win, joining, you know, becoming only the third head coach to do that and all that stuff, right? But Noodle Arm, Mac Jones, he leads the crazy comeback, gets the touchdown on tight end, National Tight Ends Day to Mike Gesicki, which was actually a beautiful throw and catch, by the way. And they they beat the Bills. I was happy the Bills lost. Not happy I lost my money and not happy because that was my two-point pick. And... Uh, for all those reasons. But uh, again, I don't know what the Bills are doing. They are just one of these weird teams that they, they've already lost as many games as they did all of last year. They went 13-3 and three last year. They're now 5-3 and three because last night they barely beat the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. They were up 10-0, then at home no less. Then they allowed the Bucs to come right back, tie the game. They then went up 24-10, to 10, and it stayed 24-10 to 10 for what seemed like forever. And then all of a sudden, the um and the spread was by the way 10 nine and a half so they needed to win by 10 points they were up 14 and towards the end of this game the buccaneers baker mayfield fourth down gets a face uh no first one was illegal contact he got sacked i believe and it said while the quarterback was in the pocket illegal contact defense five yard penalty first down boom automatic first down kept the drive alive. That was the first fourth down. The second one, Baker Mayfield's trying to scramble. He's in the pocket too long. He gets sacked. Well, guess what? That was fourth and 10. They called a face mask first down. The third fourth and 10, he throws a bomb, kind of almost like a Hail Mary, um, like 30, 40 yards on fourth and 10. And Mike Evans, it skims off the defender's helmet, actually hits the defender's helmet and bounces into Mike Evans' hands. And he, the concentration level, I'm not, I'm not even kidding you. Mike Evans, man, I, I, he might get a lot of flack here and there. He's dealt with so many different quarterbacks and he has had, had a stellar career, a thousand yards receiving every single season he's been in the NFL. No one can say that. And he's just a, a model of consistency. And yeah, he deals with injuries here and there, but a thousand yards every year. He just is a baller. He's got great size. He's got great hands. He can go up and get it. And yeah, he does some boneheaded stuff and he drops some passes. He shouldn't, but man, is he good? And one of the, uh, personally, I believe he's one of the best receivers in the history of the NFL, I'm just saying. And so it was a great concentration catch. They get the touchdown. Uh, then they go for two because they're like, all right, we have no chance to really win. We have over two minutes. We could get a stop and get the ball. But analytics say, let's go for two. So when we get the next touchdown, we could win. And this is where it got bizarre because it ball hits the helmet on the touchdown. And then Baker Mayfield basically just throws it into the defensive lineman. It hits him in the, in the hand or helmet, goes straight up. And the tight end, Kate Otten, just snags it in the end zone for two points. So they cut it to six. And now, I, again, I said the spread was 10, right? So now you have no chance to cover the spread. Because even if you go get a field goal, you're going to only win by nine. And you're not going to get a field goal because the Bucs, I think, were had one or no timeouts at this point. They were just over two minutes left in the game. And... It was virtually over at that point. So that's exactly what happened. The Bucks got the ball back with just a few seconds on the clock. They did a couple like sideline passes. And then Baker Mayfield, uh, oh my God, he throws a Hail Mary to the end zone and it went untouched. I, I've virtually never seen this. Even the announcer said so. Um, it, it was bizarre because Chris Godwin, if Baker had just a, a second or two longer and he could have waited to throw it, 
Chris Godwin turns and it basically like brushed right past his arm. He was in perfect position to catch this ball if he had more time to turn and look. And it would have been epic if they would have beaten the Bills and dropped the Bills to four and four because a Jets win Sunday over the Giants. We would have jumped to number two in the division. Oh, it would have been sweet. So yeah, the Bills did not cover this once again. And I don't know what to make of them because they've been blowing games late. They haven't looked great. They've got a... Uh, 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 just a plethora of huge, huge losses to that defense between Matt Milano, Tredavious White. I mean, just tough losses. And the offensive line hasn't been great. You know, running the ball has been a problem for them. Um, The turnovers with Josh Allen, it's just like, I don't know what to make of this team. But yeah, they kicked things off here in week eight uh, last night on Amazon Prime. Okay. The Bears... Uh, the Bears. Who expected the Bears to beat the Raiders? Well, I wouldn't say that I did, but when Jimmy Garoppolo was ruled out, I was like, nope, I'm not touching this game. So I was just chilling watching this game. But the Bears started an undrafted Division II rookie quarterback in Tyson Bagent, and guess what? They beat the Raiders. So the Raiders were one of those three and three teams kind of in the hunt there for a playoff spot. Same record as the Jets. So I was hoping that they lost anyway. And anytime an NFC team plays an AFC team going forward, I'm obviously rooting for the NFC team because it would help my Jets every time they win. So more on this, right? If you don't know the story of Tyson Bagent, please, God, for the love of God, go look it up on social media because his story is incredible. Went to Shepherd University, a small D2 school in West Virginia, and he has just holds ends, just crazy records, right? He won the D2 Heisman. I think he set the all-time um, passing record for NCAA. Uh, just incredible. His story is remarkable. His father's a 28-time uh, arm wrestling world champion. It's just absurd. Um, so just, just his story's incredible. And here's a great interview with him post game that I wanted to play. This was on Fox. Just take a listen. All right, Tyson, your coach told me that he chose to receive the ball to start the game because he wanted to calm the nerves of his young quarterback. Tyson, was there one second today your nerves needed to be calm? Definitely had nerves today. I appreciate Coach looking out for me. Uh, not not so much so that I that I might have needed that, but you know that's just one example of everybody that's been looking out for me this week and having my back. And you know, obviously, I could not appreciate that anymore. Tyson, you told me that so many times in Division Two football, you were told Division One is a different universe, and you were not ready for it. So let's inspire some people today. For every Division Two player who is told. This is too big for you. What would you like to say after your first win in the NFL universe? Man, I would just, you know, I always resort to just the work that needs to be done. Don't ever stop working. Don't ever let anybody's opinion stop you from chasing what you want. Um, And that's really what it boils down to me, just the work, tirelessly working day in and day out and never stopping. And, you know, great great things can be a result of that. One year ago today, you were beating Westchester University. Congratulations on beating the Las Vegas Raiders today. Thank you so much. Great way to end that interview, right? It's just like, wow, to put it into perspective, right? Westchester, like, that's how far from the NFL he was. He was, um, there were 14 quarterbacks, I believe, that were 
invited to um, the combine. He was one of them. Only two were undrafted. He was one of them as well. And he actually had other offers to sign with other teams in the NFL, but he chose the Chicago Bears because he thought it gave him the best chance to make the team. That's the other thing. Undrafted out of Division Two. not only did he make the team out of training camp, they made him the number two behind Justin Fields, who, by the way, is always hurt and once again hurt. So this guy, this kid, he came in last week, was pretty bad, um, up and down really, getting thrown into the fire, but had a full week to prepare, and they had a great game plan. They came out, and they won, and he's 1-0 as a starter in the NFL. And it's funny because a team like Chicago, you know, they've been so miserable for so long really, and he's just got a little swag to him, right? He's got a little white trash in him, which – Total compliment. I'm not trying to knock him whatsoever. He's not any of that, but he's got the hat on, little cockeyed, little sideways, like he's a little thuggish, right? But uh, no, if, you, if you've seen the interview with his dad, upstanding guy, like they're not white trash or anything, but it's a compliment. He looks like a guy, uh, you could hear the way he talks a little bit. It's like a little, like a little, you know, it's, 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 it's a little... Like I said, thuggish. It's a total compliment, but he looks like, you know, he'd be he's a perfect fit for Chicago. Like he'd be ripping cigs on the sideline, you know, in, in between series or something. Just so he's a, he's got that he's got that um that grit, if you will, to him. And, and I think he's a good fit for Chicago. And it's a, just a great storyline in the NFL. Just I I mean, it's seriously, it doesn't matter where you go. It doesn't matter what people tell you. What matters is how hard you work and how badly you want something and it, it, put your mind to it you can achieve anything there are plenty of you know millionaires or billionaires that were told they're too dumb or they're too stupid or they have a learning disability or they're you know or athletes that were told they're not good enough or they're not big enough or they're not strong enough and you know sometimes it's luck yes sometimes it's about you know being seen at the right time in the right moment doing something great but other times it's just about sheer willpower it's about you know, in the case of a Josh Allen, just straight up sending, going from junior college and just sending letters to every single Division One football coach in America until somebody sees it, until somebody responds. You know, it's about trying to get that job, you know, just constantly emailing um, these people back and trying to to gauge them and, and get more information and ask questions and just it, it goes beyond sports and it's just about, you know, you know, life in general, whether again, it's your profession, your, you know, um, anything in life that you strive to do or want to become, you have to be great and you have to want it more than anybody else. You have to want it more than the next guy. So it's just a great story and great inspiration for any kids out there and anybody that thinks they aren't good enough or is maybe out of junior college or out of division two or division three that doesn't think they can make it. Oh no, you, you can make it. The blueprints there, Tyson Bajant just did it. Okay, so if the Bills wasn't bad enough, if the Raiders losing wasn't bad enough for you, well, it gets worse. My Lions, and I say my Lions because they were my three-point pick, and I had money on the Lions at plus three going into Baltimore. And I really initially, when I looked at this, my first gut feeling was like was Ravens, minus three. But then I started to, to peel this back and I was like, wait a minute, the Ravens the last two weeks have not looked good. They should have they shouldn't have covered uh against against Tennessee in London. 
They got to stop on the one-yard line. They blew it against Pittsburgh the week before. I was like, they have not looked good. But, of course, this was a, a trap game for, for the Lions coming across, um, you know, coming on the road to Baltimore. I But I thought the Ravens would have a little jet lag coming back from London. I was completely wrong. This game was over by the end of the first quarter. The Lions were a shell of themselves. They were the frauds that I thought they were, okay, um, in, in the words of uh, Dennis Green, we are who they thought they were, or we are who we thought they were, right? So the Lions are who I thought they were, right? They're just the same old Lions. Yeah, they're a good team. Yeah, they'll probably make the playoffs. Yeah, they'll probably win the division. Could they make some noise? Possibly. But at the end of the day, I equate them to a Miami Dolphins team. They just can't beat good teams. And man, oh man, did Baltimore look good. They almost shut them out. I mean... Wow, they almost shut them out. And, of course, I had a parlay going. I needed Jared Goff to throw a touchdown. He couldn't do that. But, hey, congrats, Jameer Gibbs. You finally scored your first touchdown of the season. And um, that happened to be because David Montgomery was out, and he's probably going to be out again this game. I don't know if that's the reason they got drubbed. I don't think it is. But the Baltimore, they could not stop this Baltimore attack. Lamar Jackson was looking every bit as good as he ever has. It was scary to see what what the what the Lions produced on that field and my god that was an ugly 38 to 6 game ugly so i'm sure a lot of people lost money on that game then we had this wacky Colts Browns game which happened to be i didn't have really a dog in this fight except a couple fantasy players but this happened to be the most fun game of the week i guess not so much if you're a Colts or Browns fan but in the end it worked out for the Browns so here we go the Browns vaunted defense you know um, Miles Garrett, like this front, really good defense, right? They just beat the 49ers, held them, just made Brock Purdy look uncomfortable, look really bad, beat the 49ers, stunned them with P.J. Walker at quarterback, no less. Well, they got Deshaun Watson back in this game, so I was a little hesitant to take the Colts with the points, and I probably should have, even though it was a last-minute backdoor cover but because the spread was plus three. Going back and forth, um, Miles Garrett, Ended up blocking a field a 50-yard field goal attempt, just beautifully hurled over the line and then jumped in front to block. It haven't seen that much in, in the NFL over the last bunch of years. Nobody's been jumping, timing that and jumping perfectly without touching anybody to block a field goal, but he did it as a defensive end. Um, usually we see maybe linebackers do that. But they they surrendered 38 points to the Colts, who have quickly become like an interesting kind of team. Um, I know they lost Anthony Richardson, uh, but they've got Minshew Mania back there, and he's been a you know a comparable backup, one of the best probably in the league. Although he had a couple turnovers in this one fumble interception. And the weird thing though in this game was that Deshaun Watson got hurt. I want to say, was it the first quarter, second quarter, whatever it was, it was the first half. He goes down. It looks like a shoulder injury. It's like, oh, here we go again. He's missed time already with this shoulder thing. But later on, reports are servicing that they that they uh, evaluated him for a concussion. He was It was ruled that he passed concussion protocol. But then Kevin Stefanski just decided to keep him out of the game, the rest of the game. So they went to P.J. Walker. And P.J. Walker was very comparable, and they went down. And on fourth and goal, down five with 19 seconds left, they had the goal to hand it off to Kareem Hunt on fourth and goal. Hunt! Did he get in? Touchdown! 
Nick Harris once again as the fullback opening up the hole. So there you go. Kareem Hunt scores the game-winning touchdown. They went for two. Like I said, the spread was three. They did not get it. So that is why my man Nick, Nicholas, um, won his two-point pick because the um, the Colts covered the plus two. They only lost uh, the plus three. They only lost by one. So it was um, unfortunate for me because I would have liked him to get the push because if he got the push, he wouldn't get any points there. Uh, and that was the only points he got for the week. And because, again, this was just an awful, awful week of football, just awful. Everything that could go wrong with all the fa- all the favorites, all the big the teams that everybody, the public was betting, should have just faded them all because they all lost. It was just insane, absolutely insane. So, yeah. Okay, so another game we had was the Giants and Commanders. That's always a fun, uh, boring NFC East rival, right, between the Giants and Commanders. So for the second straight week, no Daniel Jones. It was Tyrod Taylor. And, you know, they look comparable. They got Saquon back, so the offense definitely looked better. Uh, Saquon's a huge difference maker, obviously. This makeshift offensive line is played pretty decent. Um and yeah, it wasn't pretty by any stretch, but I believe they won 14 to 7. It's already been uh, reported today, in fact, that Daniel Jones will not play Sunday yet again. He will miss his third straight game. So Tyrod Taylor will be suiting up against the Jets once again. I'm not worried. Um, I actually prefer to face Tyrod over Daniel Jones because Daniel Jones, I think at this point in his career, is a fat, you know, more dynamic, elusive runner. And the Jets typically have a little trouble with, with mobile quarterbacks, but by no means should the Jets lose this game coming off the bye. Uh, they absolutely better not because I won't be able to show my face if that's the case. But afterwards, it's funny because that Washington was not happy. And I think the writings on the wall, Ron Rivera might be on his way out, but it was one Jonathan Allen who absolutely went off afterwards um, when being interviewed by reporters. I had to bleep out some of the words because he was throwing F-bombs left, right, and center. So, uh, but yeah, who would have thought the Giants were the team, was the team that broke this man? Just take a listen. What's the evaluation like after a loss like that? They whooped our ass, plain and simple. Gotta be better. Anything they did that surprised you guys early on? No, I want to say so. I think it's just a lack of focus on our part, a lack of attention to detail, not starting fast, and creating holes that are too big for us to overcome in the second half. Does it get frustrating when that scene? Yes, it does. I'm fucking tired of this shit. Fucking tired of this bullshit. It's been seven fucking years of the same shit. Tired of this shit. What can you do now going forward to get it turned around? Get our minds right and get ready to play fucking Philadelphia. So, yeah, there you have it. He was absolutely not. Not happy at all. Now they got to go play Philadelphia again, which granted they went to overtime with them last time. They do match up with them pretty well, but I don't know. Things are starting to go downhill for Washington. Okay, another week of the Chiefs and another Taylor Swift sighting. Obviously, Swift was in attendance. Um, Sorry, uh, Taylor Swift was in attendance once again as the Chiefs This was a good AFC West matchup. I wasn't sure how they were going to match up with the Chargers, who have somewhat of a potent offense when they want to, um, and they've beaten the Chiefs in the past. But nope, the Chiefs were five-and-a-half-point favorites, and they covered this, I I believe. What was the final in this? I know they won won by, what, 11 or something? Um, 
I don't know if I have the yeah, 31 to 17. Okay, so they won by more than well, well above the five and a half. Exactly what I thought. Um but I just have to say, I played the number one team in my fantasy league, and I already just lost Kyron Williams. I traded Jalen Hurts basically for Kyron and Joe Burrow, and you know Burrow was on bye, so I had to start Jordan Love. And so I was I was hoping against hope that Travis Kelsey would have a big game, and with Tay Tay in attendance, baby, what did Travis Kelsey do? He went off on National Tight Ends Day. My goodness. 12 receptions, 179 yards, and a touchdown. Oh, my God. Thank you, Travis. You helped me to barely win my matchup. It came down to Monday night football, and thankfully, my not starting Jordan Addison did not bite me in the butt because it almost did, but I won by two points. Thank the the fantasy gods, and thank you, Travis, because you got me 33 points, and every one of them counted. So thank you, thank you, thank you. But yeah, if you just look at the splits with Taylor without, uh, the numbers are crazy. He's been balling out since Taylor Swift showed up. Uh, the Eagles, we had a trade earlier this week. The Eagles, fresh off their win against the Dolphins, traded for Titans safety Kevin Byard, addressing a pretty big need in the secondary, which is one of the areas that they've struggled on defense mightily. So, um, yeah, that's a big pickup. Don't don't sniff at that. That's actually a huge pickup for the team that looks like the best in the NFC now. Of course, they did lose to the Jets, but they are 6-1. and one. They have the best record in the NFC because, of course, the 49ers have now lost two in a row. And it's quite shocking because the 49ers lost that game on Monday night that they never should have lost. And Kirk Cousins doesn't win on Monday nights, doesn't win in primetime, and he actually got the win. So it's a little bit wild. But here's the thing. Um, As they got on the plane to head home to San Francisco, Brock Purdy started experiencing concussion-like symptoms. So Brock Purdy is now questionable. It look it's looking more and more like Sam Darnold is going to start because if you look at the trend throughout this season, nobody that's been diagnosed with a concussion has played in the next week, has played the next week's game. I know he returned to practice yesterday in a limited capacity, and it truly might be 50-50, but from what I'm seeing, um, it looks like Sam Darnold is going to play on Sunday. So something to keep in mind as the 49ers, who are the 49ers playing? I definitely should know this. The 49ers are playing the Bengals. That's right. I do know that because I have Joe Burrow starting against the 49ers in fantasy, and I was debating whether to do that or not. But the way the Vikings diced, sliced and diced that defense, you know, maybe Joe Burrow could get some love too. Um, So, yeah, there you have that. I'll get to my three picks a little bit later. But for now, let's switch things up and talk some NBA because the NBA is officially back. We had a couple games Tuesday, but – it officially started really Wednesday with the majority of teams. Um, couple quick, quick things to get to. Um, house cleaning. Giannis agreed to a three-year, hundred eighty-six million dollar max extension. So all this talk about him possibly going to the Knicks or whatever—that's out the window. Apparently, he's satisfied with them getting uh, Damian Lillard, who, by the way, in his debut last night, went off for thirty-nine and had seventeen free throws. I believe he was 17 for 17 from the free throw line. That's the most by any player in their debut with a new team. Incredible. And I think his 39 points was the fourth most by in a debut with a new team. Uh, The T-Wolves, they agreed to a five-year, $136 million deal with, uh, 
Yeah, Jaden. Okay, Jaden McDaniels. Sorry, I, I I knew I had it. Okay, so yeah, which is a little bit shocking because lesser known player, but he's still he's still a he's still a pretty good player. Average uh, almost forty percent from three. Free throw percentage could be a little bit better, but anyway, uh, what did he do last year? 12.1 points per game, 51%, almost 52% from the field, which is pretty good. Almost 40%, like I said. Yeah, those are pretty good numbers. So he got a big deal, five years and $136 million. This is just the, the, the world we live in now. Okay, Andre Iguodala, who freshly retired, was actually just hired by ESPN along with Austin Rivers and some others as studio an- uh, studio analysts. Here's what I'd have to say about that. ESPN wouldn't have to hire fresh meat if they didn't fire the likes of Mark Jackson and Jeff Van Gundy and all the greats. But what ESPN is trying to do is they're trying to cut costs in this world we live in, this stupid world where inflation and and everything and prices are going up and Disney Plus bundles are going up and you name it and everything is going up in price. These morons cut some of the best talent that they had and they're just going to try to cut corners and bring in new talent and they're just going to pay these guys the minimum salary that they could pay them, okay, because they're they're brand new. And they're, you know, neophytes at this. And then in a couple of years when, oh, they get too pricey, they're going to cut them and they're going to hire some other fresh meat. I'm sick and tired of it. And I'm disgusted at the fact that I have to listen to Doc Rivers and Doris Burke now instead of my classic Jeff Van Gundy and, and Mark Jackson, which has been a staple in my life for years and in NBA fans' lives for years. And it's not a knock on Doc Rivers. Although Doc Rivers' voice isn't really made for TV. He always loses his voice and everything like that. And then Doris Burke, she's fine, but she was always, she wasn't the the main course. She was always the, you know, the deserter, the appetizer on the side, interviewing players and, and, and going into the stand and doing that sort of sideline stuff. That's where she always, she flourished and she was great at. And it's no knock to her. She's she's done, you know, the, the full play-by-play and, you know, uh, game broadcast, but it's not the same as Jeff Van Gundy and Mark Jackson. And, and, oh, my God, it was so good. And they got rid of it, and I'm just pissed. You know, I'm pissed. God. Future Hall of Famer, greatest player to ever live, Victor Wembenyama, the 19-year-old Frenchman, made his debut. And I'm just being facetious here because people are, think, are, are saying that he could be the greatest prospect to ever play the game, bigger than LeBron. Jordan, you name it. Uh, I haven't seen it yet. I see flashes, but again, he's still 19. He's he's skinny. He's going to, you know, put on some weight, but he's got a he's 7-4. His wingspan is just ridiculous. I don't know exactly what it is, but he also, you know, we all see the highlight reel tapes uh, of him crossing dudes over, step back threes at 7-4. He's got the handles, like you name it. Imagine a guy like Sean Bradley being able to shoot a three-pointer and have handles like this. It's just unheard of, right? Just not happening. So the fact that he's 7'4 and can do all this and shoot the ball is unbelievable. So they called it um, Wednesday for Wembenyama, obviously. Um, and, he, you know, they played Dallas at home. They were horrible last year, of course. So hoping that he can bring them some stability. You still you still got um, 
Popovich coach in there, so that should help him. But his numbers were not eye-popping Wednesday. 15, bo- uh, 15 points, 5 rebounds, 2 assists, 2 steals, and um, he played, what, 23 minutes. He made 3 threes. I think he was 6 of 9 from the field, 5 turnovers. You know, not not great by any stretch, but he did have nine of his 15 in the fourth quarter. So, you know, he kind of went off and right now he's two of four. They just started. Um, he's got actually all their points. It's four to two right now, four points, one rebound. Um, but yeah, he, he was solid, uh, had one block. would like to see him get more. He that block came in the first, like 30 seconds of the game, actually. So he didn't do much beyond that point on the defensive end, but don't, 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 uh, make no mistake. He is a defensive stalwart he's seven foot four inches tall and he's not going to get beat off the ball that often and if he does he's going to have not makeup speed but he's going to have makeup length to be able to block it off the off the backboard and stuff like that so yeah this this kid um there's flashes there but he's he's going to be fun to watch and it's great for the nba because the game was the most watched season opener in the nba in the last 11 years it was the most watched spurs mavs regular season game ever okay uh just unbelievable. Put up numbers not seen since Christmas Day on ESPN. So just unbelievable. A guy to, that you're going to want to check out this year. Um, In other NBA news, it's going to be a long season in Chicago. The Bulls apparently, after just one game, had a players-only meeting after they lost, I believe, to the Thunder. Um, Billy Donovan said he walked into the locker room and players were having a conversation with strong words. He asked if they needed more time. They said yes, so he walked out. He also said he liked players taking ownership amongst themselves. Yeah, obviously. Um, But for this to be happening after one game is not a good sign. It's never a good sign when players are having a players-only meeting. It can it can turn into a positive. They can reverse that, and it could be, okay, we had a players-only meeting. Let's go. It's This is not how we wanted to start the season. Boom, they flip that switch, and they start to show us a little something. So we could have that as well, but just not, not it's going to be a long season in Chi-Town for sure. Okay, some sad news to report. Um, Georgetown women's basketball coach Tasha Butts has died at the age of 41 after a two-year battle with breast cancer. Um, Butts was hired just last April, so not very long ago. Um, She had an extensive resume as an assistant, spending four seasons as an associate head coach at, you know, as an assistant and associate head coach at Georgia Tech. She spent eight seasons as an assistant at LSU, three seasons at UCLA, and a season at Duquesne. And, of course, as a player, she was an outstanding player standout. Um, She had a career as a guard at Tennessee playing for Pat Summit. She left Tennessee ranked fourth all time in games played with 141. She won four SEC regular season titles and helped the Lady Vols get to two national title games. Uh, So RIP to a um, great coach, a great uh, basketball player in Tasha Butts gone way too soon and you know, screw cancer. Just terrible. Okay, World Series. It's officially after eight, so that game is on. Let's check in on that score. Uh, I hope nobody scored. I don't want to miss anything. Okay, it's top of the first inning. It looks like there's one out, so they got started a little bit late, so that's good for me. We're going to finish this up soon. But we got, again, Diamondbacks, Rangers, 
two teams that won game sevens on the road, just kind of improbable. I don't want to, you know, uh, want to talk too much on this, but I do want to mention one thing about the Phillies blowing game seven at home against the Diamondbacks. The Phillies, um, Philadelphia, really, the city now owns a crazy distinction. They have lost seven consecutive game sevens. Seven consecutive. Oh, my God. So check this. The 76ers have lost four straight game sevens. I believe it's been over 22 years uh, since they last won a game seven. The Flyers have lost two straight game sevens. The Phillies, of course, this year have now lost one. That's seven straight, seven consecutive game sevens. And add that into the mix. Last year, Phillies lost the World Series. Eagles lost the Super Bowl. It has not been a great year. I mean, granted, yes, it's been a great year, but they just can't get over that hump and win a championship, these Philadelphia teams. But, yeah, seven straight. And this spans years. So that's just crazy. It's the longest Game 7 losing streak by a metro area um, uh, city in MLB, NBA, NHL history. It's just unbelievable. And then, of course, factor those World Series Super Bowl losses into the fact that, by the way, the NBA is investigating the Sixers and James Harden because James Harden is healthy and he's just bitching his way out of yet another city and another franchise because he wants to go where James Harden wants to go and he wants to do what James Harden wants to do. And although he rejoined the team, he has no plans to play for Philly. So you have that as well. Uh, Nathan Navaldi, by the way, will start game one tonight or has it's already started, but he hasn't taken the mound yet because they're the home team. He's 4-0 and this postseason, and with a win tonight, would become the first pitcher ever to win each of his first five starts of a postseason. Oh, and by the way, he used to pitch on the Yankees, won a World Series with the Red Sox after that. Uh, just, yeah, brutal. Okay, some other baseball news. This is, uh, this is something worth noting. Uh, Bob Melvin, who surprisingly... You know, we we heard, oh, Bob Melvin, he's the manager of the Padres. Well, it came out that he was interviewing with the San Francisco Giants, which is a little bit surprising that a coach of one team is just going to go openly interview with a, another team that's not even as good as your team. San Francisco didn't make the playoffs. Granted, neither did... um Neither did the Padres, but the Padres had a mu- have a much better roster. They have star power. They have the NL Cy Young. Um, it, it, you know... They, they, they have uh, just a plethora of guys, you know, Soto, Machado, Tatis, all that stuff. But early in the season, there was some locker room dissension. Guys maybe, you know, Soto not happy, guys not liking Tatis, whatever the case may be. So maybe he saw the writing on the wall. I mean, San Diego finished above 500, 82 and 80. Yes, yeah, San Francisco was just behind them. Three, excuse me, three less wins. But I don't think that's a, as good of a situation to go to. So obviously there's something going on in San Diego. But again, like I said, the San Diego roster is comprised of stud guys. I just said Blake Snell, Cy Young winner, um, Joe Musgrove, Hugh Darvish. I mean, these are guys we know, you know. Um, I just named the guys on offense. You, you've got Cronenworth. You've, you've got Xander Bogarts, although those are that's a big contract there with him and Machado and, 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 um, and Tatis. But there's been issues with Tatis the whole motorcycle accident, the lying about the injury, et cetera, et cetera. So there's some, been some things going on. So yeah, Bob Melvin, not only did he interview for the Giants job, he just took it. 
So he has been named the new manager of the Giants. So the Padres are on the outs. They're looking for a new manager. And rumors are swirling. They could be looking to move Juan Soto, who is set to become a free agent next year in the summer. And they would just lose him for nothing. So there's rumors out there. The Yankees have had preliminary talks. Would the Padres be willing to absorb a contract a la, you know, an Anthony Rizzo or even a Giancarlo Stanton? Because they don't want to, they don't want to, uh, be in a rebuild because the Padres um, GM in um, AJ Preller, he's not a rebuild kind of guy. He's an all-in kind of guy. So if he can unload Soto, but maintain that level of consistency and get a veteran in an Anthony Rizzo, or maybe even an, an outfielder DH type in, in a Stanton or, um, or, or get a bunch of young prospects that are MLB ready. I just don't want to see the Yankees give up too much uh, there's rumors they could give up like uh, maybe Dominguez. I, I don't see that happening. I don't see Cashman doing that. But if he could offload Rizzo, he's probably going to do it, although I don't want to see Rizzo go. Um, I'm, I, I like Rizzo. He just hasn't been able to stay healthy, and he hasn't been he hasn't been good. He went on a stretch where he could not hit a home run for like 40, 40 games. It was like ridiculous. So, yeah, anyway, Bob Melvin, new manager of the Giants. In other news, the NHL suspended Senators forward Shane Pinto for 41 games stemming from activities related to sports wagering. It's the first gambling-related suspension in the modern betting era in the NHL. And then Northwestern State canceled the remainder of its football season two weeks after a player was killed and the coach has since resigned, citing the emotional toll it has taken on him. Just horrible and they've arrested um his roommate they've arrested another football player for possession of like drugs and a firearm but they're not saying if any of them murdered this kid it's just a weird wacky crazy situation just awful anytime something like this happens uh just on a college team it's just awful okay and then finally we're at the end On this date in sports, October 27th, 2002, Emmett Smith passes Walter Payton to become the NFL's all-time leading rusher. Smith has now held the record longer than his predecessor, and it might be a record that is never broken because we are in a passing league and running backs have a shelf life of like five years, if that. So, crazy stuff. And then let's just flip back for a second because we've got uh, NFL Sunday, we've got the Jets at Giants, Jacksonville at Pittsburgh, Philly at Washington, KC at Denver, Cincinnati at San Francisco. Again, game one tonight of the World Series. NBA Friday, we've got Miami at Boston right now. You've got Golden State at Sacramento at 10 p.m. Tomorrow, you've got Number eight, Oregon at number 13, Utah. That's at 3.30. That should be a good game. Um, I actually... Um, after what I saw last week with Oregon, I just don't know what to say. I like Utah here with the points. I think it's six and a half, five and a half, six and a half. Then you've got number 20 Duke at 18, uh, Louisville. I don't know if Riley Leonard's going to play or not. Uh, if he does, I like Duke's chances. You got number one, Georgia. I think fresh off a bye, they'll play Florida. That's at three 30. Um, and yeah, that's pretty much it. I'm going to play golf tomorrow with the fam. So, um, I'm looking to shoot in the. Uh, on the low end in the 80s, you know, anywhere between 80 and 84. 
I've shot consistently some 85, so I'm trying to break that, get get that, um, get that down. Even though I haven't played around since Disney a few weeks ago, and I was able to shoot a 41 on the back nine, I got pretty hot. Didn't even have my own clubs, so my goal is to shoot under a 40 for, um, you know, one of the nines or even both. If I could start shooting in the low 80s or high 70s, that would be that would that would be something else. So, um, yeah, got to get some good rest tonight. I'll go uh, produce this, edit this, um, and get this up for you guys to listen to in the morning and hopefully before Sunday's games. But real quick, I just told you that slate of NFL games. I want to give you my three picks because I do not know if I'm if we're going to um, have a uh, Through the Ringer episode. We're going to try to maybe do it tomorrow, but because I'm going to play golf now at 1230, I've got to leave at least an hour maybe longer before that. So if I do this, I'm going to have to wake up super early. So I just don't see it happening tomorrow. So let me give you my three picks. Last week was just one of those weeks. Chalk it up to a loss. So we've got Eagles minus seven on the road against Washington. Uh, This is a divisional game. I know that Washington took them to overtime last week. But they're in tatters right now. Give me the Eagles minus seven. I think they're finding their stride finally, coming off a big win against Miami. Give me the Eagles minus seven. That would that'll make my uh well, let me go through and find the other two I'm gonna make. So actually the next one is gonna be the New York Jets minus three over the New York Giants. This is technically a Giants home game. No Daniel Jones. Tyrod Taylor yet again. I think the Jets well-rested off a bye. Should be okay. Should get the win here. I think Robert Sala understands how they came out flat after last year's bye. It was an embarrassment. That will not happen this week. The Jets are coming off a big win two weeks ago against the Eagles. They will soar through this one. They should beat the Giants by more than three. And then the third one that I'm going to take is, wow, I'm taking the first three games that I see here on um, on on DraftKings, that would be Miami minus nine and a half over the New England Patriots. This smells like money in my pocket, okay? Because Miami coming off a loss, the Patriots coming off an emotional win they shouldn't have gotten. This is this this is just perfect. Miami minus nine and a half, hammer it, boom. And that's going to be actually my number one. The Philly game is going to be my number two point play at minus seven for the Eagles. And then the New York Jets will be my three point play Minus three over the New York Giants. Signed, sealed, delivered. Those are the Pody's picks. Back me up this week. We're going three for three. Boom. All right. With that being said, ladies and gentlemen, enjoy the weather. We are gearing up towards next week. Next Wednesday is November. And Tuesday is Halloween. And it's going to be 80 degrees tomorrow here in Jersey anyway. So it's it's insane. So enjoy that nice weather. First Saturday in seems like two months that we are going to have nice weather. So I'm going to play golf. I'm going to enjoy it. And I'm just going to have a good time. We'll maybe win some money uh, on, you know, college football. I'll hopefully be home at a decent time to watch the second half of those 330 games. And, um, you know, shout out to Rutgers. They are 6-2, and two and they finally made a bowl game. Uh, seems like it's been forever. But, uh, yeah, it's it's been fun to watch. And um, so, yeah, with that being said, this is the Pody. We are signing off. Enjoy the weekend, everybody. Let's go win some money. Deuces.